listener. Tesla are, are pretty impressive because there is no maintenance and there is no servicing. There's nothing to service on the Tesla, dare I say it, apart from windscreen wiper blades uh, and perhaps tyre wear. When it comes to EVs, the days of oil changes and spark plugs are long gone. But does that mean you'll never have to see a mechanic ever again with or without a Tesla? The cars are connected to the cloud, so we do have updates that, that happen with the car. Also, we would do a check, a software check of the car that we do every time we do a service anyway, in case there's been any sort of factory upgrades to the software that need changing. What do the next generation of mechanics look like? Will you need to have a computer science degree to service your car? And how often will you really be expected to take your car into the service centre? Those are just some of the questions we'll be answering in this episode of What's Under the Bonnet. Hi, Nadine Armstrong here. I'll look after all your servicing needs. Uh, Hello, everybody. Greg Rust and Nadine with you for this episode of What's Under the Bonnet. That was me being geeky. Apologies. Oh, were you putting that voice on? I was putting that voice on. It's not normal. You know me. Um, I love a good impersonation. There is some very good opportunities out there for young people looking for apprenticeships in the future of automotive. So we'll talk more about that later. It's still very much a job space, even if it is changing with the advent and the greater adoption of EV. So we're going to tackle that with someone who is at the very forefront of the business shortly to Adam Pay, Managing Director at MyCar. We love your mail. We've got some listener mail. And this month, Nadine, when we get to it, is someone who's a little bit nervous about the whole notion of EVs catching fire. And they're not alone. We know it's an issue. It gets a lot of headlines and we will dig into that for you. And on the subject of training, retraining, learning about the kind of skills that you need to have a good career in the EV space when it comes to looking after vehicles. We have got a guest coming on that is brilliant when it comes to communication and has taken what he did so successfully, more or less in the the automotive and motor racing space, and is now helping the next generation of students learn. Yes, Chris Isaac coming up. And there's something about talking to people that teach. They just, they know how to explain things. And I think you're going to love hearing from Chris. First up is Adam Pay, Managing Director at MyCar. So back in the day, iconic Aussie store Kmart had a tyre and auto service centre, which I suspect many of you probably had a tyre or two changed over the years. In 2019, after Continental AG acquired that business, Kmart Auto and Tyre Service rebranded to MyCar. They are one of the biggest employers in automotive service, and they're moving with the times, adding EV servicing options to its offering. What a funny little side story here. My first part-time job when I was in high school was at Kmart. I made it to the auto section, and I thought I was, you know. That's the pinnacle. The king. The king. And downstairs was the auto and, and tyre service it. area. So I've got, I've got very vivid, vivid memories of that. Now, uh, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of servicing an EV a little later, but Adam is here to to walk us through how the commercial sector is really adapting to the increased EV adoption that we're seeing nationwide. Adam, welcome to the show. Great to, great to be here. Thank you. Before we get into it, come on, we should state that you yourself are an EV driver. What are you driving and what do you love most about I, it? I, I am an EV driver. I'm a convert, so I'm driving a little BYD Atto 3. 
Um, I'm absolutely delighted with it. I'm not sure whether you know, you probably do actually. It's got guitar strings as door pockets. We have seen that, yes. Uh, it's pretty cool. The kids never leave them alone. That could drive you a little bit mad, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> Something to entertain them at least, hey? <laughs> I love it. It's so smooth. It's really quiet other than the guitar strings. But it's it's really nippy too. And I think for me, I'm really enjoying being what I class myself as a relative early adopter. What did you swap out of? What were you in before the BYD? Uh, I had a BMW X5 and then I had a Range Rover. So it's a real shift. But I'm really enjoying being the, uh, what I class myself as a re- relatively early adopter, helping to change some perceptions and giving EV drivers that are thinking about making the switch information that helps that transition a smooth one. So I'm really enjoying the experience. And nothing better than getting behind the wheel for a big trip, right? So you did a trip from Sydney to southeast Queensland. Talk us through that, what it cost you, you know, any surprises along the way, you know, you know, what happened on that trip? Uh, I mean, it was a real big learning curve for us. That was the first one. I mean, uh, it cost me there and back $91, $92, which is just incredible. Wow. <laughs> Not sure the X5 could have done it in that. Um, definitely not. It just took a bit more planning. And we made a few mistakes. We kind of didn't charge regularly enough. We relied on the kind of the stated mileage, et cetera, et cetera. So we could have got ourselves caught short a bit. But to be honest with you, um, once you've done one big journey like that, the second one's just so much easier. The thing that I love, though, is that I haven't had to visit a petrol station in the last 15 months. And I think the surprise for me is twofold is, firstly, how much you save. And that wasn't a motivation. It was just a real surprise for me. But the second part is how easy it is to transition from your existing vehicle to an EV, how quickly you get used to it. You know, past the fact that you're obsessed by battery percentage, it's just so easy. So other than longer journeys and having to plan a bit better, it just feels normal. Can we weave into the conversation here a little around the whole aspect of, of servicing? Like you costed out that road trip there. EVs don't need a massive amount of, of servicing or they need specific types of, of servicing, right? So the, the question kind of leads us more broadly um, to to my car and, and to this sort of servicing space, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, if I think about um, servicing from an owner's perspective, at this stage, it doesn't feel hugely different. I mean, EVs have still got lots of components similar to ICE vehicles. They've got tyres, they've got brakes, suspension, fluids, got 12-volt battery. I was really surprised at the 12-volt battery, actually. And there's still a regular service schedule that needs to be followed. I think for me, what maybe feels different is the fact that, you know, you're not talking about changing the oil and filter regularly or the spark plugs. But I think, again, that that's now filled with software updates. But what I am enjoying about the car a great deal is the over-the-air updates, the stuff that gets updated when I'm leaving the car on the driveway overnight. So it's been a really, really good experience from that perspective. Adam, we know that my car has added EV servicing options to the business offering. So how does that work? How many stores are, you know, essentially EV ready? And how does that work for a business owner to take that on? Currently, we've got 33 EV ready stores. Um, we'll have 42 by the end of the year, and I think an additional 10 by mid next year. So we're we're not moving um, really, really fast. We're moving at a pace that the organisation can manage at the moment. I mean, if I, if I look at our traditional stores and vans, they can already offer customers, you know, all of your standard basic requirements for EVs, tyres, wipers, lights, all of the basic stuff. When we talk about EV-ready stores, we need to consider them differently and they do take a different mindset. You need specialty equipment, tooling. That includes a vehicle charger. You need one of those at each of the locations. You need the team trained, of course, but what you also need and what's really different is 
a team that has a genuine passion for EV. So I'm an EV owner, as we've already stated, and these early adopters want to deal with, I certainly want to deal with like-minded people in store. So we need to get that right. So there's a bit more preparation, um, particularly as it relates to different customer needs, but I think we're well on our way and, the, and the, the feedback we're receiving from customers right now is supporting that. It's funny, I hadn't really thought much about sort of the mindset of, of staff you know, we think about technical skills and training, that kind of thing. But yeah, that conversation, you know, if you've got people that aren't quite on board or we know a lot of people are still anti is probably the wrong word, but are taking a while to come around to the thought of EVs. What are those conversations like with staff? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. Very similar to the conversation you have with customers. You know, I think people are nervous because it's new and nervous because they feel it's a, a huge change. But we always find once we've got the technicians down to the training sessions, they come back and they kind of go, yeah, it, it's okay. It's good. I'm quite excited by it now, particularly when they get to drive one of these vehicles. Uh, so we regularly give them the opportunity to drive an EV so they can get comfortable with it. And once they come back from the drive, they're kind of uh, fascinated by it and really, uh, I think, excited um, by the opportunity. And, of course, as a business, we need to make sure that we're future fit. And our technicians are well aware of that. So I think mostly they're excited by the opportunity. We're intrigued about what made you and the company make the leap. Was it a, a case of kill or be killed or was it a case of you saw opportunity? What, what actually kind of prompted it? You know, it's definitely not kill or be killed. <laughs> I think it's opportunity. I mean, the, the, you know, the auto space continues to change at a rate of knots and technology continues to shift. I mean, we need to deal with all of the changes coming our way. EVs, just, just one of them. Electric vehicles still need to be inspected, as I said, and serviced. They've got tyres, suspension, brakes, all of the other stuff I spoke about earlier. And they still need a highly skilled technician to take care of them. For us, though, we've got to remain relevant. So whatever technological shifts are coming our way, um, we need to ensure that we get in front of them and get in front of the challenging landscape and meet the customer's needs, whatever tech they're driving. My car recently commissioned some research that we saw, and, and one of the key stats that I saw in there found that almost 40% of Aussies only know how to drive and essentially put fuel in their car. You know, how do you feel about that kind of research number? And do you think the number increases or decreases around sort of EV ownership and their understanding of their own vehicles? I think it's a question we get asked uh, a lot. I mean, the research was really interesting. But if I think about my own experience as an EV driver... Before I purchased, I researched like I'd never researched before. When I bought the BMW X5 and the Range Rover, in time, I didn't do the research that I did for an EV. And actually, for the first time, the entire family were in, invested in the purchase process. So as an EV driver right now, I'm really well-versed. And, I, and I, know, I know a lot of friends who are customers of my car that went through uh, a very similar process. So on balance, I'd say that... EV owners tend to arm themselves with much more information than the driver of a petrol or diesel car. That said, though, you know, we recognise no matter what tech you drive, that people can feel really overwhelmed talking to technicians about their car, which is why we introduced the Auto Translate. I mean, it's designed to take really complex vehicle topics and simplify them and to help people speak the language of car. I mean, it's really cool. If you haven't had a look, please do. Yeah, I would, I would encourage listeners to, to jump on. If, if Explain it in detail, but I really encourage people to jump on my car and have a little play with this. Yeah, we, and we've had some really good fun with customers, really great feedback from customers and team. We've had some really good fun with it internally. But, you know, I, I think it really speaks to the my car personality, you know, we're people first. And while we take our, our work seriously, we don't take ourselves 
too seriously at all. So it's very, very Mike out. That's a little tool that I'll find very handy. Let me tell you, it's not just about empowering your customers. From a an apprentice program standpoint, you're you're all about boosting the skill set, helping them grow, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, you know, making sure our technicians are capable of diagnosing and repairing today's technology and making sure their future fit for tomorrow's technologies is mission critical. You know, if I think about what we empower our teams to do, we not only want excellent technicians, but we want them to take care of the customers too, which is really important to us. But we love to grow our own technicians. I mean, we're the largest single direct employer of apprentice technicians in Australia right now. We've currently got 450 across the store network, and it's something we're really proud of. But ultimately, though, we, as a business, we're focused on creating an environment where no matter who you are in the network, you can do your very best work by having the right tools, equipment and, and training. And that kind of culture often enables our team members to take advantage of the internal programs we've got to take their career past technical to management and leadership roles. And, you know, really, our people are our greatest asset, and that's the way we treat them. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you heard in our intro, Adam, but uh, one Mr. Greg Rust in his very younger years was a um, Kmart Tire and Auto Service employee. So if you've got any, you know, jobs going over his quiet time over Christmas. Yeah, no problem at all. We're really busy at the moment, so we could do with that. Front counter only, Adam. Front <laughs> counter only. I shouldn't be let anywhere near the tools. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, you are, um, as we said at the, the commencement of the, of the discussion here, really passionate about this move into EVs on a, on a personal level and very active in this space. So did you make a trip to Norway, to Oslo, about a year ago, the largest EV uh, consumers in the world? What kind of learnings did you take from there that you think can perhaps be applied to the, the Aussie EV market? But our observations as a team, and it was a great trip to just go and immerse ourselves in all things EV, try and get a look into the, to what the future might look like for Australia. I mean, the biggest surprise for me is it, it wasn't as sophisticated as I imagined it would be. But just immersing yourself in that environment really helped to provide insight and clarity um, and answered a few questions. It gave us a few more questions to answer too. Mm. But, but I think that the key here is that we can't apply everything from Oslo here. I mean, Australia is very, very different. Regardless, though, it was, it was fascinating to kind of go and um, learn from people that have been there before. But, but for us in Australia, I think we've got to work together to get that just right for Australia. But again, the, the best learning for me, though, has, has come through owning and driving an EV, whether I'm city driving or long hauls. The learning experience is fantastic. And I, I love to share the insights successes and um, learning opportunities too, but uh, <laughs> it certainly continues to be a learning journey. There's no doubt about that. You made a good point there because we do always hold up places like, you know, Norway as, as a leader, but Australia is so different. So when you look at all of the things that you've learned, what does that sort of look like and how does that shape the future of my car and the decisions you make around EVs? You know, it, co- it just caused us to um, take a step back. We were mapping out a, a really, what we felt was a solid strategy for EV uh, or alternate fuels at my car. So going to Oslo allowed us to step back a little bit. And I, and I think that that pause um, enabled us to help work out how fast we move with investment and training, et cetera, et cetera. But if I, if I think about what EV looks like for my car in the future, I, it's going to be really healthy. I mean, it really doesn't matter, as I said earlier, what the, uh, the tech looks like for tomorrow. It's all about what our customers need. And what we'll have to do is adjust our business model accordingly. I think new trends can seem really complex, but I think the answer 
is a little bit more simple. Like just be obsessed by your customer, which we are, and willing to adapt and move your business with customer needs. And I think you stand the best chance of making a sophisticated transition from too. And also, we're not forgetting that whilst EV adoption um, is increasing, there'll be ICE vehicles on the road for many, many years to come. So our job will be keeping those vehicles tip-top um, in the meantime. So we've got time to adapt. And again, I said it earlier, you know, my car, it's about remaining relevant for all of our customers now and into the future. Petrol, diesel, hybrid, electric, hydrogen or flying cars. <laughs> um, you know, as long as we remain obsessed by the customer, I think the future will be really bright. Adam, it's been great to get you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on for a conversation. And when we get you back on at some stage, we'll get you to play some music on the guitar on the way to the break because you should be expert on those strings by then, shouldn't you? Brilliant. No problem at all. Listen, thanks for having me on today. I've really enjoyed it. Listener Mailbox. Back in the day, you would have dived into an actual mailbag. Now it's just sort of living in the cloud somewhere. So let's pick one from the cloud for you. Here's Toby from Bateman's Bay. Thank you for listening to the pod too, Toby. He says, hey, Rusty and Nads, I was listening to Cassie. Oh, yes, Cassie on the Watts uh, report the other day, our meet an EV up, and she was talking about her dad's initial concerns, right, about an EV. Was it catching fire? Now, he is, Toby, saying that he's in the market for an EV. I don't want to become <laughs> a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Can EVs spontaneously combust or is that a myth? And I know we just laughed at that, Rusty, but it's not a laughing matter because it is a genuine concern for a lot of people. So I guess first things first, an EV catching on fire is extremely rare and the likelihood of them catching on fire spontaneously is even rarer. Here's the thing. So anything with a battery or an engine, including an ICE vehicle, can technically catch on fire given the right or wrong circumstance. So a car crash, overexposure to heat, a technical fault and so on. You know, the design of EV batteries is a lot more sophisticated than those in, say, you know, e-bikes or e-scooters. And EVs have advanced cooling systems that keep their batteries in the perfect temperature while they're charging and driving. And I think probably a couple of things. I mean, you can, I'm not a scientist, but you can go and do a little bit of homework on a thing called thermal runaway. And uh, probably social media overshows some of the worries that people are, are, are talking about here. At the conference, the EV conference earlier this year, someone talked to me and said, but you've got to remember, back in the day when ICE vehicles were first created, you were effectively sitting on a petrol tank. It was it was like sitting on a, on a, a bomb in some ways, right? So we have come a long way when it comes to safety standards. The work that is actually going on in relation to solid state batteries, which are a few years away, admittedly, will help significantly mitigate the risk around this subject. But you do, you do need to do the right things in terms of looking after your battery. So when you get your EV, particularly if you're buying a new one, listen to the manufacturer in terms of what they tell you around charging. Don't overcharge, things like that. We need, as Nadine detailed there before, to keep it in the right sort of temperature range. And if you're getting a secondhand one, do things around a battery check. Understand what the battery underneath you is like. And maybe it might be worth checking in with your insurer just on this subject as well. And anyone that likes a little bit of data around these things, there's a study that was conducted by Auto Insurance EZ, an American insurance company. They found that ICE vehicles had a much higher risk of fires compared to EVs. It found that petrol and diesel vehicles experienced 1,530 fires per 100,000 vehicles, while only about 25 out of 100,000 fully electric vehicles caught fire. So there's a stat for you. So if it's something that you're 
really worried about. Just make sure you do some of your own research and come to a balanced conclusion on this subject. That was a very, very good question. So to Toby, thank you very much for sending it in. And if you have got a question in relation to EVs, maybe uh, you'd like Nadine to do some more of her excellent myth busting. Uh, send Nadine. us at podcast, uh, Dr. Nadine, yes, at podcast at carsales.com.au. So we've heard from Adam Pay about what the commercial servicing sector is doing to keep up with the EV uptake, you know, not only about servicing, but also about the people skills. But what about the institutions where most mechanics actually learn their trade? Is it something they're prioritising? And what do the mechanics of tomorrow even look like? Yeah, exactly. So to give us the lowdown on this is Chris Isaac. He's an automotive teacher at TAFE, the colleges, you know, for technical and further education. He's operating in New South Wales and leads their EV training course. Now, funnily enough, Chris and I actually crossed paths in the motorsport space way back, and he's done some driver training with manufacturers as well. So safe to say he really does know a thing or two about what is under the bonnet of every type of vehicle. Hello, Chris. Nice to catch up. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Hey, you're an automotive teacher at TAFE New South Wales, specifically teaching the the EV skill set course, which we're going to get into in a moment. But worth sharing with people that we both have a little bit of a motorsport connection, motorsport circles for you. Just share a bit of that with us as we set this up? Yeah, as much as I'd like to claim genuine seat time and that I'm the world's fastest man in a car, I actually am not. (laughs) So I'm not the thoroughbred like that, but I I started out my time essentially as an over-enthusiastic first-year apprentice mechanic, contacting every V8 supercar team in the country about who would put me on as an apprentice. I actually, I got very close in the end, but life took me in a different direction. And then I, I served my time as a, a mechanic in, in the industry. I did more than 10 years with BMW, ended up working for Audi Australia, looking after the, the Audi sport brand for the national training portfolio and did a lot of work with the Audi drive team, which has some of that supreme talent that you know of, Rusty. So guys like Carl Reinlass, Steve Johnson, Dean Canto, Guy Stewart, Marky Adderton, the goose, and all these guys who are the genuine motorsport heads. And I just got to go in there and learn from them essentially and get paid for it. It was fantastic. So I love that history, Chris. It's, it's such a good introduction to, to anything, yeah. particularly teaching other people, I think. So obviously the automotive industry is changing a lot, but we know the one thing that's not changing, that's something that we all need is servicing. But given the change in ICE vehicles compared to EVs, you know, there's a lot of different aspects to this. Can you walk us through those real key differences sort of from a maintenance and servicing sort of perspective? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Look, they are, they are very different to each other, but there's a lot of crossover because we're still dealing with cars. It's still a motor vehicle at the end of the day. It, depending on the perspective you look at it from, Nadine, so we've got the customer perspective and we have the maybe the technician or the mechanic perspective. So if we look at it from, say, the servicing side in the workshop, it's important to know the difference between your battery electric and your hybrid vehicles because they have a different servicing schedule. The hybrid's obviously having internal combustion engines still in the current market and that means that there is still some ICE servicing standard procedure like oil changes that we're aware of. When we head over to the, the battery electric, we go to a different a different approach, but servicing is still primarily the same in that what we're looking at now in the battery electric sphere, instead of, say, doing oil degradation tests and sampling and things like that, which you might do in some parts of the industry, we're doing battery state of charge tests, motor efficiency tests, 
those sort of things, but it's still servicing nonetheless. And so training is really important. I've had a little bit of time with the Victorian Autom- Automotive Chamber of Commerce, and there, there is a real need for young people to come through to to be a part of of the industry. And we probably need to dispel the myth that mechanics are going to become a thing of the past and be replaced by computer programmers and, and tech heads. There, there is a pathway here, Chris. There is a there is job opportunity, and I'm I'm seeing. Correct me if I'm wrong here. A, a greater presence of, of women in some of these roles too. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a really interesting space. I, I think, like I mentioned, curiosity before, and curiosity is one of those factors that often defines good mechanics. And that we mm. just we play with things, you know, grow from taking the blades off your dad's lawnmower to you know doing different things that annoy people, and then we eventually end up doing this sort of job. <laughs> There's two factors which is really cool. Yes, we are seeing more tech heads as such come into the trade, but that's not a bad thing. And we're definitely mm. seeing more women come into the trade. And at risk of possibly a slightly unpopular opinion, there is something that, you know, traditionally in the workshop sphere, when we're dealing with the heavier stuff, the, the guys tended to be involved in that. We had more, more men involved. With that lack of heavy componentry removal all the time now, we are seeing it become a more woman-friendly or more small women-friendly environment. I guess there's two arguments that there's one side saying, no, traditional mechanics will be traditional mechanics, and then there's the tech head, the programmers. And I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle, Rusty, to be honest, mate. I'd, I think that we have to upskill and get to where we need to get to, but there's always the enthusiast side of the market. There's the guys like you and I that just want to go fast for the sake of it. Mm. The mechanic of yesteryear is dead anyway, and that's always been the case with every generation of mechanic. I'd I often joke with Mark, who's a colleague who sits next to me, that we hold the same qualifications almost to the letter, but he did his trade 20 years before I did. Therefore, we might as well have done different trades. You know, in 10 years, we've had more technology growth than the preceding 50. So how could it be the same? And Chris, you've already sort of touched on it a little bit, but being able to adapt is so incredibly important, which brings us to the TAFE New South Wales. So you've launched an EV skill set course to help people mechanics or wannabe mechanics, you know, adapt to the changing industry. So what are the key skills that you teach in that course? Yeah, okay. So the the skill set that's currently on offer is we hold four units of competency. Currently across the sphere of education for trade, we have units of competency. So that you might do a unit for brakes, a unit for cooling systems, whatever it might be. We now do those for the electric vehicle sphere. It's primarily focused on the depower, the repower, so disconnecting and reconnecting high voltage. In which case, in a lot of cases, we're talking, you know, we're starting at 240 volts. We're ending up at sometimes 1100 volts DC. So big voltage. And obviously, you need to know your stuff there. It's very, it can be very unsafe, very dangerous if you don't. But we're focusing on the safety power and repower and then the servicing and maintenance of those vehicles relative to industry. So we're not doing some sort of crazy envisioning of what it might be. It's, it's about dealing and meeting with people where they are, which is, essentially what TAFE is very good at. So we're trying to get back to that. And what about job opportunities for people that, that graduate with these skills under their belt? Job opportunities. So they are varied and there's a lot of them. So, you know, mm. if we look at mobs like Tesla, for example, Tesla operate on a slightly different business model, which you're probably aware of with given, given you guys have been doing this podcast and are obviously keen EV enthusiasts. Tesla operates slightly different and they have a bit more of that tech head computer programming approach to servicing and they run in their own kind of parallel universe, I like to say. However, in the automotive industry, particularly in light vehicle, there's always been this interest in what's called conversion courses and that might be conversion to have an auto electrical certificate, 
as well or a heavy vehicle certificate or work in different fields. And the cool part about these quals currently is that they apply across industry. So if you've got a high voltage disconnect qualification, you can do that in the heavy industry, in the stationary industry, in the light vehicle industry, whatever applies. The traditional three-year TAFE term that you would do as part of your apprenticeship, your Cert 3 trade qual as such, these units are now being folded in as you know, it's, it's a standard part of the industry. So there's job opportunities everywhere. So is it something that you're finding young people are, are keen on? Maybe you're getting a range of different people walking through the doors. Give us a little snapshot of that. I actually find this part fascinating because for, for me, I'm, I often joke that I'm a, I'm a nerd wrapped in the skin of a bogan. And um, <laughs> and, and, it's, uh, and it's 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 nothing's true. Talk about transferable America. skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's no probably greater example of that than the EV space. Like, you know, I grew up with an electrical engineer for a dad, and as Rusty knows, he's a, he's a mad Kiwi. He loves fast jet boats and whatnot. But I've always just grown up with this permanent curiosity, probably because I've always thought that he was trying to kill me with some kind of electrical device. But <laughs> aside from that, I, I find everything about the automotive sphere interesting. And I, I just thought for a long time that everyone else was the same. It turns out that I was very wrong. And a lot of the young guys we have coming through, I thought, man, this is their bread and butter. They'd love this stuff. Every single one of them has got an iPhone and an iPad and an iHouse and everything. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not. It's the, it's the older guys. It's the mature age guys that are keen. And I guess it just depends on what the motivator is for them. Maybe they own their own business and they need the qual to be able to do stuff. But the coolest part about all of it was just the last course I ran, I had a young 18-year-old guy who just finished his trade. So he must have started his trade when he was two. <laughs> he's finished and he's come and done an air conditioning course with me and an EV course with me by the time he's not, not 19. And the oldest guy in the course was 65. So you look at that age span in one class. Wow. It's, it's really quite cool. It sounds like you're sort of, you know, breeding some very well-informed people that are going to be great advocates for this sort of change into a greener motoring, I guess. So what would you say to maybe a mechanic or someone who's potentially a bit sceptical about the move towards EVs? How do, how do you talk to them about, you know, this need for upskill? I think we've kind of gone with a bit of a scare tactic traditionally with, with EVs. And you've probably noticed it from people you've spoken to potentially. There's a lot of fear around it, whether that be consumer or whether that be from the technical side. And I think that fear is there because there is a lack of knowledge. And that's we only ever fear what we don't know. I think understanding and, and knowledge brings with it a completely different concept and perception of what's happening. How I encourage people is, one, I'm an excitable character and anything that's sort of fun and new, I'm all over. So I find every relevant motorsport article that I can put to the EVs and say, come and do it. But I... I would challenge anybody who's a car fan to get into a good EV and tell me you don't like them. You'd be lying to me if you did. The argument for me ultimately, though, is that there is no standing still in the automotive industry. There's either leading the way, keeping up, or falling behind. If you stand still, you just get older and and you get dumber relative to what's on the market. So you've got to choose who you want to be in this industry, I think. You are a great spokesperson on this, mate. And I reckon all that time around those maniacs with the Audi courses and so on has, <laughs> has, uh, has rubbed off on you. Hey, so. hey, quickly to finish, if we can, great chance for you here to, to spruik this. Tell us more about the TAFE EV skill set course, but, but where I'm going specifically is how do people find out more about it? Where do they go to find out more about it? And what based on your curiosity that you've talked about in this interview, what excites you about the future? For me, I have three qualifying factors about the future, if I deal with that one 
first. If I'm being really, really honest, I, I, I love I love tech. I love the unknown. And perhaps it's equal parts anticipation and anxiety in that I have to keep up somehow. But I love it nonetheless. I love that unknown part of our industry. But the thing is that we're playing with the same laws of physics, the same laws of chemistry that we were 100 years ago, Rust. And it's but now we're just we're better at squeezing everything out of it. So I just can't wait to see what comes next all the time. At TAFE, we're kind of responding to industry. That's our that's our job. In terms of then getting in, in touch with us, I would say the best bet for anybody is to contact the automotive department at their local campus. So if they know where the, lo- the nearest campus that teaches automotive is, get in touch directly with those guys. They will have a, a pitch or a course offering in mind. And then they'll get you on a list and get your bum into a seat. Chris is on the central coast of New South Wales talking to us today. So if you're listening and you're in that area, he's been a super advocate for this today. Um, Your enthusiasm is infectious, mate. It's come right through the microphone in our conversation today. Thank you for coming on and for people of all ages, by the sounds of it, that are listening, there are some great courses out there and some great opportunities. And at some point, we'd love to get you back on the pod for another chat. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'd, I'd love to come back. I've had a great time. It's awesome. That is it for this edition of What's Under the Bonnet. Make sure that you tune in for our What Report. It's like our our shorty, our shortcast, which is dropping very soon with the latest news, new vehicles hitting the market and our favourite segment, Meet an EVA. And don't forget, episode four is just around the corner as well. And we're looking at the EV community. So clubs, membership groups. What is it really like to be a part of the EV community? We're going to talk to some really interesting people on that one. We love our community here on What's Under the Bonnet. Thank you to everyone for listening and for your contributions um, along the way too. That is it for this one. We will catch you next time on behalf of the team. It's bye for now. Listener.